Everybody, JJ Cooper, Kyle Glazer here, another Baseball America trade deadline podcast, a trade deadline anticipation podcast, I should say. It's not the trade deadline yet, but we're getting ready for it. Kyle, you know, I apologize, everyone, if you hear my voice it's a little raspy. Uh, had a great time at the uh, All Star Weekend in LA. One little downside is, is I do think I caught COVID on the flight back. Uh, I did catch COVID. I don't know exactly where, but I think it was on the flight back. I'm doing better. I'm recovering. But if you wonder why I sound weird, that's it. But Kyle, great to talk to you. Great to actually be looking at someone's face as I sit here in quarantine and isolation in one room in my, our house. But uh, you've been, you, you clearly have trade deadline fever. You've been writing about it over at baseballamerica.com all week. And so let's just dive in. You've written two pieces this week already. One is kind of uh, an update. Uh, that you posted today, you've looked at in the past kind of the success rate of of, dev, of prospects traded at the deadline. And today you've kind of pointed out that, hey, it does seem like teams are getting better about this. But I would say the, mo the more important piece that's the perfect place to start here is you also looked at, I believe it was 17 trades where a player who had just finished in the top three in the MVP voting the last two years or – uh, top 10 multiple years had been traded and looked at the returns. And I, I think what you found is, is that I, I let you know, secret national fans, if you trade one Soto, it's going to be really hard to win the trade. Is that a fair way to put it? Yeah, it was really interesting. I was really curious. What are the historical outcomes when we're talking about a player of this caliber, when I say of this caliber, I'm talking about, again, a, a top three MVP finisher type or a guy who's a, a top 10 MVP finisher multiple years in a row, just the stars of the stars. And when they're traded within two years of, of those accolades, not a guy who won MVP, you know, five, six years ago when he was 26 and then gets traded at 32, 33, and he's a different player. I'm talking about guys who are performing at that level within recent history. And what I found was over the last 30 years, there is not a single instance in which a team acquired a player of that caliber and lost the trade, no matter what they gave up, no matter how many top 100 prospects they gave up, no matter how many young big leaguers they gave up, no matter what combination they gave up. Once you start talking about players at this level, these are the elite of the elite of Major League Baseball. I, I feel very comfortable saying there is no prospect in the game right now who projects to be as good as Juan Soto is. Not one. No, I, I mean, especially right now, because we talked about it. We just rolled out an update. This is not a time. There are times if we were talking about, oh, somehow Shoei Otani, you know, that time where we talk about Vlad Jr., Fernando Tatis Jr., Shoei Otani. We talk about Ronald Acuna. We talk about guys like that. There are sometimes guys where you're like, this guy's a seven who could be an eight. Right. There are no guys in who checked off the boxes of there's no position players who are sevens who are in the upper minors right now, who we can confidently say that maybe someone becomes that, but, and there's definitely not a guy who's like, Oh, that's potential eight. Right. It is a little bit of a down cycle for prospects, but going back to just kind of the history of these trade returns over the last 30 years, it just comes down to you are acquiring a superstar player and whether you acquired him at 23, 28, or even 33, some of these guys were a little bit older 
These are the elite of the elite of the elite. These are the guys that the prospects and big leaguers you're acquiring in the best case scenario, you hope they become this caliber of player. Most of them don't have that potential in them. So what it kind of came back to for me was I thought there might be, you know, one or two instances where maybe the star got hurt and maybe something went sideways. But even in the cases where the star got hurt, I was looking at the Ken Griffey Jr. trade, for example, in 2000. In my mind, that would have been one where I'm like, you know, the Mariners probably won that one with Mike Cameron and some of the other guys they got back. And looking back at it, even with Griffey getting hurt, if you look at what he gave the Reds and compare that to what Mike Cameron did the entire rest of his career, only a portion of which was with the Mariners, Griffey actually had the higher ops plus and about the same number of home runs. So even the trades where I was like, man, I I thought they might've lost it. They really didn't. And it just goes back to with Juan Soto. If you're a team acquiring him, looking at recent history, when you acquire a player this good, you're not going to lose the trade. And if you're the nationals, the best you can really hope for is for the trade to come out. Even you're not going to win a trade when you give away a player of this caliber. I will say this. If the Nationals came out even in talent production, then they win the trade by far because the one thing that you would have then is that if you, if let's say over the next, again, let's say the next six years, because what Juan Soto does in 2035, you know, may not have any bearing, you know, on the trade or 2030 even for that matter. But, but if you said uh, that, you know, that at the same time you would say, okay, I'm going to look at this trade and I'm going to look at it and say each of these, the, the players they acquired produced 30 war and Juan Soto produced 30 war. Okay. Well then the nationals won the trade because the nationals got 30 war of players who they paid this year, probably league minimum and next year. Whereas the team who's acquiring Juan Soto would have gotten equivalent production, but paying them at full freight prices, free agency prices, all that. But that's also not what you're seeing in this. You're not seeing in this, oh, the players who are acquired are producing equivalent to the player who they, they're not coming close to producing that level. Right. So in 13 of the 17 instances, it was an absolute whitewashing. The team acquiring the star got star MVP level production for years and years and years after the trade. And the prospects they gave away or the young big leaders they gave away didn't come close, forget matching it, even being half of what that star produced. And then you had four instances where you could say, okay, yeah, it was probably fairly even. So it's very unlikely you even get to that, that even production. And it's very unlikely you even get close to that even production, which kind of leads me into, okay, what do the nationals need to do to be an outlier in this trade return? Mm -hmm. What do they have to do to not get completely whitewashed? And again, they can acquire five top 100 prospects Odds are they're going to lose the trade by a lot because of those five top 100 prospects. Realistically, only one or two are actually going to pan out, and neither of them are. I would going to say, be- well, no, hold on. When you say pan out, if if it depends on where in the hundred you're talking about, because if you acquired two top 25 prospects, the odds are that one of those will become, again, especially if it's top 10 prospect, a very productive long-term big leaguer, and one would become a useful big leaguer. But well, that's you where. Acquire a number 80 the, prospect, it's very different. Well, the counter to that is the Tigers got two top 10 prospects from Miguel Cabrera and Dontrell Willis. Andrew Miller and Cameron Mabin were mm-hmm. both top 10. And they both ended up, over the course of their careers, having fine careers. And Andrew the trade, Miller was a 
he turned into a do- he turned into a dominant reliever at the very end of his career. But even with that, the trade was an absolute smoking. It was a destruction. No, I'm not saying it wasn't. I'm just saying that when you say the one or two, if you acquire five top hundred, I disagree with you on that. The numbers show that if you acquire five top hundred, it depends very much where in the hundred are they. Is what I would say. But going back to it, yeah, what we're getting at with the Nationals is the trades that have worked out. You could argue were even the key characteristic all of them had was it was not a all prospects deal. A young major leaguer who had already graduated from prospect eligibility was a major component of the deal. And for the most part, it was a big part of helping the trade be like, okay, yeah, both teams can be fine with this deal. And the four examples were 1993, Gary Sheffield Padres trading to the Marlins. Padres got Trevor Hoffman back. They are super happy with that. They got a Hall of Fame closer and a San Diego icon. The Marlins are also very happy with that deal. Gary Sheffield gave them four plus years of great production, led them to a World Series and was an MVP contender and a multiple-time All-Star. The first Matt Holiday trade involving the Rockies when they sent him to the A's, they got back Carlos Gonzalez and Houston Street. Houston Street was really, really good as a closer for the Rockies for three seasons, you know, cargo and holiday. If you kind of master production holiday actually still comes out ahead. But when you add Houston streets production on top of it, that's kind of what pulls it even for the Rockies. We talked about the Ken Griffey jr. Trade again, Mike Cameron was a long graduated prospect by that point, And he was the guy who really made that trade. Okay. For the Mariners, it wasn't the prospects they acquired. And then the other trade where you kind of could argue that a team trading away the start won the trade would be when the Rangers traded uh, Juan Gonzalez to the Tigers is more because the Tigers didn't keep Juan Gonzalez. His production over the next five years was actually still pretty good. Um, but again, two key guys who helped them be quote unquote, even Gabe Kapler and Frank Catalanato were graduated prospects. So that's the one common thread here, which leads me to the Nationals. Whatever they do, if they trade Juan Soto, in order to have any shot for this to really not be a complete whitewashing, they have to get a graduated young big leaguer back as a core component of the deal. It can't be, you know, four prospects and a utility man, you know, the Eric Patterson's and Bravik Valeras of the world. It it has to be a key key guy that means if you trade him to the Dodgers that reduces your risk of losing the trade yes and that means trade him to the Dodgers it means Gavin Lux or Tony Gonsolin for the Cardinals it means Dylan Carlson or Nolan Gorman for the Padres it means Mackenzie Gore maybe Jake Cronenworth depending on if how much they value the years of control whether you know four versus six is a big thing for them it just goes back to if the Nationals trade Juan Soto and they get a team's top five prospects back and that's it History tells us they're going to lose the trade badly. They have to get a young graduated big leaguer to have any hope of not losing this trade badly. The, the That's only what addendum history I would make us. to that, the addendum I make, history shows us it's more likely because history does not ever prove anything. History shows us the indicators. There could always be a first time for anything, but it there is, is much no more question. likely. Yeah, there's, there's much no more question, likely. But I, there always is a no, first I'm just time. Saying, I'm, but, I'm, but I put a lot of stock in history. I'm just saying. We have to realize that just because something has not happened does not mean that it could not be the the, the time that it did. Um, so, but yes, it is much more likely if that. 
and, um, and that for me is where I go back to. I think the biggest thing now, when we talk about Juan Soto trades, and we'll talk about which teams actually have the talent to acquire him, the ultimate conclusions I came to just looking at 30 years of data and doing the research and even looking at some other trades that maybe didn't fit our parameters, but same general idea, a young star in his 20s being acquired for a giant package, whether it's Christian Yelich, Justin Upton, Carlos Beltran, it pretty much means that the team acquiring Soto just acquire him. Don't don't worry about losing the trade. You're going to get him for three playoff runs. If it's two or three top 100 prospects and a good young big leaguer, you know, again, you always want to make sure you're doing your due diligence on scouting and making sure your evaluations are right. But assuming they are, and that's what those players are, pull the trigger. You're not going to lose the trade. The worst you'll do is be even. And what it means to the Nationals is any proposed package that does not include a young big leaguer I just hang up the phone. You know, it starts with that guy. It can't be a a complimentary piece. It has to be a core piece. Which this leads us into kind of the talk, but it's interesting when you mentioned Tony Gonsolin, because I, I know the Dodgers have pitching depth, but I, my brain did kind of like the, the thing that is tough about this. If you were an acquiring team, like when you mentioned a guy like Gonsolin and some of the other guys you're going to mention here is potential young, well, Gonsolin's 28, but young, guys who could be going back tony gonsolin right now top five candidate to be Cy young award winner this year absolutely and realistically the dodgers aren't going to trade him they're not going to trade that level of pitching depth but it was more the point like every team is going to have to give away someone that hurts someone that the fan base and the front office and us as media when we see it we're going to go oof that's a that's a that's a tough loss but that's what it's going to take to get a Juan Soto. Again, I do not think the Dodgers will actually trade Tony Gonsolin. But it's more I, I think they need him too much for they, they, know, they to do. win it this year. Oh, they absolutely do. So, But again, it's just the, the idea of if you're the Nationals, again, a young, productive big leaguer who's graduated already kind of has to be a part of the deal to have any shot at, at, again, not getting absolutely destroyed in this trade. So again, every team is going to have to make the assessment of, you know, okay, who do we have that fits that mold that – we can afford to trade versus not afford to trade. Again, if you're the Dodgers, realistically, Tony Gonsolin is not someone you can afford to trade given your current rotation health status. But it's just the overall point of like, that's the type of thing we're talking about here. The young big leaguer who's a stud already or are shown enough to at least be an average to above average everyday regular. So, okay. So let's dive into that. So when you look at it, who are the teams that come to mind? I, I, there are obviously are a couple teams that are out because – Oakland, Tampa Bay is not trading. Uh, Tampa Bay does a lot of things creatively. Tampa Bay is probably not trading for Juan Soto. I'm just going to go on a limb, even if they do need a lot of help right now. Am I fair? Yes, I think you're, you're spot on with that. Yeah, I, I think first and foremost, you look at the Dodgers and Cardinals because each of them have seven top 100 prospects and multiple performing, controllable young big leaguers. They have different packages they can put together. The Dodgers and Cardinals are the two teams right now that can pretty much match any offer on the table, the Dodgers especially. Those are the teams that just have the most ability, again, between Mexican matching certain young big leaguers with certain prospects, that they can put together the most appealing packages to the Nationals. So for me, those are the two teams that are the favorites. I do think the Padres are very much in it. Um, they have five top 100 prospects. Again, you know, we have to see what Mackenzie Gore's elbow injury and how serious that is. Uh, That's a big component of this as well, because again, 
They need a good young big leaguer back, and the Padres don't actually have that many good, controllable young big leaguers. It's kind of Gore and Cronenworth right now are the only two they really have that hold any appeal. And Mackenzie Gore's trade value right now is much diminished from what it would have been a week and a half ago, potentially. Right. So, but, But the Padres could do it. But the Dodgers or Cardinals could top any offer the Padres put on the table. If the Padres put their best offer on the table, the Dodgers and Cardinals can top that. It's just a matter of, are they willing to? So that's going to be part of the dynamic here as well. If one team raises and if the other team's willing to match it. So they're in it. I also look at the Mariners and Blue Jays kind of as dark horses. But again, neither of them really have the true prospect depth right now. These other teams we're talking about. They can only do it if they include a young big leaguer in the deal who will hurt. For the Mariners, that means a Logan Gilbert or a George Kirby, who, again, they probably don't want to move. That would hurt them a lot. Um, it's kind of funny. I've seen some people, Mariners fans on Twitter, proposing trades of you know, Jared Kellenick, Matt Brash, Dwelvi Marte, and Everson Hancock. Well, yeah, that's because that's what fans do. I know. They will I trade know. the players who they don't mind trading. Like, right. they think that, oh, we're – you know what? Maybe the rest of uh, maybe the Nationals have not noticed that Kellenic has not settled in at the big league level yet. So hey, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll make him the cornerstone. So yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's that's what fans. You do. know, you're gonna have to include a, a guy probably like that, and and the Blue Jays as well. Their farm system is not great right now. Uh, I believe they're only at two top 100 prospects, and you know, a couple guys who are just off the list, but. I mean, they would have to include, again, an Alejandro Kirk, who just made his first All-Star game. And again, I don't see a scenario where the Blue Jays actually trade Alec Manoa or Bo Bichette. But again, they don't have the prospects to pull off a trade without including a guy like that. So again, Mariners and Blue Jays, they're dark horses. Realistically, I don't think it'll happen. But but hold on. I mean, with the Blue Jays, like, where does Gabriel Moreno fit in your description here? And that's where he's still a prospect. Again, to me, if you're the Nationals, it's you have to take Kirk. You have to take the guy who's gotten to the big leagues, who's proven it, who's shown he can hit while handling but, the grind of catching every day. And if and, and I don't disagree, but I'm saying like the thing about it is, is what stands out to me there is that's a 23 year old, that's a young established big leaguer, and I do think the Blue Jays could do that. Without it, they can say, you know what, we've got Gabriel Moreno. Like we, that hurts. It doesn't. It's not that it doesn't hurt. It's not that you're give, not giving up talent, but that to me seems more doable if you're the Blue Jays than, say, like trading a George Kirby if you're the Mariners. Agreed. But again, I would say the Mariners have more prospects they can offer. So, it, it, again, it's going to just come down to what each team is willing to include. But you're right. Alejandro Kirk is more likely than a Manoa or a Bichette because they have a potential replacement. It's just tough to trade your starting catcher in the middle of a pennant race. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I think I think it's one of those things where those are the teams to me that really jump out. You know, anytime a big star goes on the block, inevitably the Yankees and Mets get brought up. The Yankees don't really have the packages. I'm kind of putting this together and, and kind of looking at things from a neutral perspective. I mean, the only way they could pull this off would be a package that starts with Glaber Torres and Anthony Volpe, but Torres is a free agent the same time Juan Soto is going to be a free agent. So I don't know how much appeal that really holds for the Nationals. And then the secondary prospects they can offer post-Volpe don't come close to the secondary prospects, again, the Dodgers and Cardinals or even Padres can offer. So the Yankees are, are... they're in it in the sense of could they put together a package of Glaber Torres, Anthony Volpe, then add, call it Jason Dominguez, Ken Waldachek, and Everson Pereira? Sure, that package wouldn't match what other teams could offer. So they would have to have other teams 
hold back on their offers for their offer to be the best. And they would need like that to be five or six different teams who did that. So is it possible? Sure. Is it likely? Probably not. You know, then the Mets are in the division first and foremost. I sincerely doubt the Nationals want to trade Juan Soto, then have him come back to Nats Beat Park. them repeatedly. Niner, right. So, you know, see him 19 times a year. I guess the schedules are about to go to the Schedule's going to change. They're going to change. But nonetheless, um, I sincerely doubt that's something they're going to want to see. But again, the Mets too, Francisco Alvarez is a great prospect. He'd have to go on any deal. Brett Beatty's a solid prospect. He'd have to go on any deal. Again, the young controllable big leaguer component David Peterson's been solid, but they don't have a whole lot of controllable young big leaguers. That's a component they're missing too. I posted an article, you know, 10 teams that have the ability to, to acquire Juan Soto. I did not include the Giants on it and had a lot of Giants fans asking, what about us? But that was really funny. Like, well, I wouldn't trade Logan Webber, Kyle Harrison. It's like, well, then you're not anywhere close to getting Juan Soto. Right. And the way the Giants, the only way the Giants are in this is if you're trading Logan Webb and Marco Luciano and Kyle Harrison. And that's the start of the package. You probably have to throw two or three so, complimentary prospects on top of it. Again, I don't think the Giants do that, and other teams can can kind of beat that. I, I don't disagree with all this, but I do want to play devil's advocate for a minute here, which is most of the time when we have had an exceptional player traded, and let me start by saying there have not been many players of Juan Soto's caliber traded, period. Like, it just doesn't happen very often. But when they have, the other thing that stands out is almost without fail, the package is surprisingly I have been light. disappointed yes. by the package. So when you say that they can't, the one thing that strikes me is, is that makes logical sense because it would seem like that the package would need to be bigger than that. But when you talk about, even like when we talk about Miguel Cabrera was traded for two top 10 prospects at the time and some other pieces. At the time, I remember thinking, that seems awful light for one of the best young players in baseball. Like, as much as you could like Cameron Maven, there wasn't a scenario where I looked at it and said, oh, you know what? I think Cameron Maven could be Miguel Cabrera, no. Your thought was is that Cameron maybe might could be 65 70% of Miguel Cabrera if he was really good. And that's where I do just wonder a little bit, is there a chance that when the dust clears, Soto is traded, and we just look at this and go, that's all they could get? I think there's a very good chance that happens because we've seen that happen really each successive trade deadline. I mean, that was my reaction when I saw what the Nationals got back for both Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. It's like, I mean, Cabert Ruiz and Josiah Gray are good players, but you're talking about two of the best players in baseball for two good young prospects and two complimentary pieces. I would have thought it have been a lot more. Uh, and JJ, by the way, remember, Trey Turner, not on a rental either with multiple years of control. Right. I mean, that was a very light return last year. So every year it continues to amaze me how cheap it is to acquire good big leaguers. JJ, I think the ultimate trade for you, uh, and again, this was before I joined BA and had kind of the, the awareness of the prospect role, but I was covering Major League Baseball at the time and we're thinking that seems weird. The Josh Donaldson trade, a guy who was back-to-back top 10 MVP voting, had three years of team control left. He's traded him. And even you said at the moment the deal happened, you're like, that's it? Well, but that one was funny because, okay, there's two of the strain out of me, Josh Donaldson trade and the J.D. Martinez trade. And oh, God, that one st- was like, really? <laughs> yes, Jose so let me King, start Gawa, by, Lugo, yeah. We're just coming out of the draft, right? 
And one of the things that Carlos Colazo and I talk about a lot with the draft is we always want to have, I'm sorry, but we're not Mel Kuyper Jr. There's some intellectual humility that I think you have to have when you're covering these things. You know, Mel is absolute in his takes and sometimes they're right and sometimes they're wrong and no one remembers next year and we roll along. But when we see something shocking, I do always start with, is there something that I don't know? Like, and then so, and we're reporters. So then you reach out. And the Donaldson one was funny to me in some ways because the A's cachet, the A's front office, rightfully for doing a lot of smart things, was admired. But there was a lot of attempts at the time on that one. You would see analysis of it that was basically like trying to explain it like, oh, Franklin Barreto, if you could acquire Franklin Barreto, like, I mean, that's going to look at the, look at the 24 years of team control and all that and all. And it's like, okay, I'm sorry. I'm, I've checked. I know these players. I've checked on them to make sure I'm not missing something on this pitcher or this Barreto way better defensively than I think. No. Okay. All that. And it's like at the simplest of the, if it's, there is a certain extent that's like fantasy baseball. If you're getting the best player in the trade, usually you're going to win the trade. That's the, at the end of the day, the thing that is really hard, and this is, this goes back to the Juan Soto trade. This goes back to the JD Martinez trade. The JD Martinez trade, I checked with people right after. It's like, is there something I'm missing on Jose King? It's like, no. You know, wait, is Sergio Alcantara better than a utility infielder? Probably not. Okay. The thing that comes back to on all these is, yes, you can talk about team control. You can talk about depth. You can talk about all those things. But you know what is not hard, relatively hard to acquire in Major League Baseball are players who can produce at a league average or close to league average level. Not that they're not valuable, but if you get to February 1st in the offseason, and you say, oh, no, we don't feel comfortable about our second baseman. You can probably find someone who can get you to a, well, we could do worse level. What you can't find is the guy who's like, oh, he's one of the ten, top 10 players in baseball. Those are generally impossible to acquire. And so when one of those, like you said earlier, when one of those becomes available, if you acquire them, you very rarely look back on it and go, oh, no, we acquired one of the top 10 players in baseball. Man, that really didn't work out for us. He was just really good. Yeah, we could have found some other greatest players in baseball. No, it doesn't happen that way. So, again, I go back to you're right. It always kind of shocks me every year how light some of the prospect returns are. With two and a half years of team control left, three potential postseason runs, and so many teams interested, in my head, I would imagine the bidding will kind of go up and up and up until it's a very competitive bid, um, especially with with how many teams have a need and can fill it uh, with Juan Soto potentially. And, and for the record, I think Mike Rizzo is one of the best GMs in baseball. He gets it. He understands the big picture and understands they need to get the best package of talent back in return. Kind of a side note here, when I saw people talking about, oh, well, you know, if they can attach Patrick Corbin's contract, you know, maybe it'll lessen the return. 
The absolute worst thing the Nationals can do in this situation would be to attach Patrick Corbin's contract. This is an organization that is in desperate, desperate, desperate need of high quality young talent. You look at this current big league roster, if you're being generous, and I mean really generous, there's maybe four guys on the entire big league roster now you can say, yeah, I can build with him. You know, Josiah Gray, Luis Garcia, Cabert Ruiz, and Victor Robles. And Victor Robles has not been trending in the right direction. Then you look at this farm system, and it's one of the worst farm systems in baseball. Again, if you're being really, really generous, the guys you say, yes, I believe we can build with them. Cade Cavalli, Brady House, Elijah Green, and, and Jeremy De La Rosa. There's always one or two or three surprises. But even if all four of those prospects pan out, which we know historically probably won't happen, plus you get three or four surprises, which is like best case scenario. Okay, you've got eight to 12 you know, players to work with in your organization. You need at least a dozen more to field a, a major league team and way more than that to account for injuries. I mean, this is an organization that needs to maximize this return to get as much high quality young talent as possible. And I was happy to see Mike Rizzo today come out on the radio and say, we're not going to dilute the trade return by attaching Patrick Corbin's contract. That would be one of the worst things this organization can do. And they get that. They understand that. So I, I think at the end of the day, you trust Mike Rizzo and his lieutenants to really maximize this trade return. And I think in the end, what that means is some team is going to have to give up a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, but in the end, it'll probably be worth it for them. Okay. I love game theory. There's one other thing on the, to me that is key to this. If you're the nationals, if you are the nationals, you do not approach this trade deadline as saying, okay, we are going to take the best possible offer to trade Juan Soto. It is, we can walk away from this table, have one of the best players in baseball still on this roster. He's not becoming a free agent at the end of the season. It is something where if you look at how negotiations work, your nightmare scenario you talked about, where let's say four or five teams say, you know what, when you look at the money we're going to have to devote to one soda and all, we're out. We're going to limit our offer. The Nationals have to be able to also say, and maybe it's just calling a bluff, but you do not take the best possible offer because the deadline is three minutes away, and you say, well, that's all we could get. We worked it the best we could. This is not a team. I know this team is going nowhere next year. I know that. For one, having one of the best players in baseball is not the worst thing in the world. You know, that's not a, it's not a bad thing. It's a better thing than losing this trade badly. Also, having him and then saying, you know what, we'll re-examine this come the offseason is also a perfectly acceptable. You need not just to be negotiating where you make the Dodgers and the Padres or whoever play off each other to try to better their offer. But you need that to be something where they also understand if you don't clear a certain bar, it doesn't matter if you have the best offer. We're just going to tell you no, and we'll be okay. Because this is there is no reason. I, basically, the only other big money players on the Nationals for next season are Strasburg and Corbin. That's it. That's it. So 
Yes, are they going to be a terrible team next year? Sure. But there's no part of, oh, we can't afford to have Juan Soto on this team next year. No aspect of that. Correct. And again, it just goes back to if you're Mike Rizzo in the Nationals, you approach this like you said, here's what we want. If you give it to us, cool. If you don't, we'll keep them and at least move into the offseason and maybe try again. I agree. And I want to go back to, I've talked about a young big leaguer has to be a, a core component of it. You can do that and still lose the trade. Diamondbacks oh, did yeah. with Paul Goldschmidt, Carson Kelly, and Luke Weaver were former top 100 prospects, graduated, ready to go in the majors. And again, that's another trade that's been a whitewashing. So it's just to give themselves a chance, they have to get that. The, the thing I would say, again, you're going to, I almost just look at it, you're going to lose this trade. You're, the bad thing about this is you're trading Juan Soto not because it's going to make your team better. You're trading Juan Soto because you don't think that you're going to be good before his contract is up. That's why. And so that's the rough part of this is that it's hard for me to envision any scenario. You're, we're talking about Juan Soto, the Washington Nationals being better in 2025 because they made this trade. Realistically, not 2024 not 2023, because there's no scenario that I can envision where they make this trade and it makes them a better team in 2023 than they would with Juan Soto. The difference is, it's just, well, even if they had Juan Soto, they're going to be in the basement of the uh, NL East. Yeah, no, it's going to be an interesting uh, final few days here for sure. Um, I'm going to be very curious to see what the package looks like. But again, for teams who are pursuing him, don't be fearful. Put your best draw from the table. Hold be worth it. And for the Nationals, make sure you get a young big leaguer back as a core component and hope you're an outlier. That's really what this looks like. Yeah, so we have we want to dive into the, uh, the, the rest of kind of what looks like in the, the, the trade deadline market. We just talked a lot of Juan Soto. So we're going to dive into the rest of the trade market after a quick break. We're back. And Kyle, we've in-depth covered Juan Soto, but obviously... I'm going to go on a limb and say that Juan Soto, Soto is not the only big leaguer who's traded uh, before the trade deadline. <laughs> I kind of hope so because we kind of enjoy the trade deadline. So if you look at – let me just start by saying, like, let's just look at the big picture. One of the things that I struggle with is there just aren't that many teams selling because there are a whole lot of teams that with, with the playoff format as it is now – there aren't a whole lot of teams who are clearly and utterly out of it. Kansas City Royals fans, I think, probably Detroit Tigers fans, Oakland A's fans, but there aren't a whole lot of teams where you say, yeah, they're just, they're utterly done. Is that fair? Yeah, entering uh, today, uh, here Wednesday, July 27th, 18 teams are within four games of a playoff spot. And if we make that four and a half games, it's 19 teams because the Marlins are only four and a half out despite being uh, five games under 500. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of teams that can sit here and say, hey, maybe we're not going to be the most aggressive buyers, but we don't feel the need to sell off en masse. There's a lot more buyers than there are sellers. And again, we still have to see, you know, you look at teams like the Red Sox and the Giants who are hovering or just under 500. Are they really going to be buyers? We'll see. I think Instinct would say maybe not, but then again, Instinct would have said maybe not for the Braves too at last year's trade deadline, and they were big buyers and propelled them to a World Series. So, yeah, I mean, again, 
18 teams within four games of a playoff spot entering the day, it's going to be a seller's market. There's a lot of teams in contention who are going to be looking for upgrades. And what stands out to me is obviously Juan Soto's the headliner, as we've talked about. There are not a lot of instances of a player this young, this good being available on the trade market. But even if he doesn't get moved, even if the Nationals hold at their price point and, and don't get it, there's still a lot of really good players who should be available to acquire in trades this year that should impact the pennant races. I mean, you look, you know, Josh Bell, Luis Castillo, Frankie Matas, Wilson Contreras, Ian Happ, Andrew Benintendi, Gregory Soto. These are all really, really good players. There's a lot of all-stars in there who immediately improve any team they join. You know, and even some of the, the non-headline guys, you know, Brandon Drury, David Peralta, Jose Quintana, Daniel Barr, Joey Wendell, Ramon Laureano, you know, Michael Fulmer, all these guys are veterans who are performing and could help somebody. So there's a lot of and, team- and will be cheap. And that's the other thing to remember in those cases. And this is where the Braves example to me stands out. They went in at the deadline and they did not, they redid their outfield for what is, what is the spare prospect change that we have in our pockets? Yeah, it really was remarkable how much they gained for how little they gave away. And, and again, it kind of goes back to a little bit of what we talked about during the Soto sweepstakes. It continues to amaze me every year just how cheap it has become to acquire a really good big leaguer in terms of prospect costs. So a lot of these guys are going to be upgrades for contenders from what they currently have. And Wilson Contreras is probably going to cost a good amount. Same with Luis Castillo, same with Frankie Montas, you know, probably. But we'll see what it is at the end of the day. But you know, even if you don't get them, there's guys who can help. So I, I think even if Juan Soto is not moved, this is still a, a pretty good trade market in terms of good players available and a lot of teams who are still in it enough to potentially be buyers and, and raise the prices a little bit. So, okay, if you said, if we pose it to you this way, what is a team, what is a contender that you feel confident is going to make a big move? Is there a team out there? And I think you have to say the Padres when you know A.J. Preller is in charge. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny. We, we talk about the Braves rebuilding their entire outfield. Look, the Padres need outfield help and really outfield help only. Um, their bullpen has not been very good recently. Taylor Rogers has really, really scuffled. But they at least have some guys coming off the I.L. who could potentially help later down the road. Their outfield right now is a mess. And, and Will Myers coming off the I.L. doesn't project to help he just hasn't been very good for years now so the Padres kind of need to pull a Braves and, and basically go get an entirely new outfield and they really need to keep all their trade capital for that you know one of the issues with the Padres and, and AJ Preller is he, he's such a fervent trader a lot of times they just go get players that don't fit that happened in 2015 and even last year they needed a starting pitcher in the worst way and instead they kind of wasted trade capital on another second baseman and Adam Frazier they didn't need Jack Sawinski and Tukapita Marcano and then when they needed starting pitching they didn't have the guys to do it so I think for the Padres I feel confident in saying they will make a big move because that's AJ Preller's M.O. And they need to make sure that move is for outfield help and outfield help only. Even if they don't get Juan Soto, go get Ian Happ. Go get Andrew Benintendi. It has to be an outfielder, preferably multiple. So, uh, by the way, when you say the whole outfield, I think Profar's been playable. Like, you don't have to – if you if Profar's still playing for them after this. And Mazzara in limited aspects. You see this team more than I do. 
Yeah, but, I think I think it's how much do you believe Nomar Mazar will keep it up? And we've already started to see, uh, you know, a little bit of slippage from what he did initially. And, and Profar is a good contributor. Again, could you live with him in left field? Yes. But Ian Happ and Andrew Benintendi would also be pretty big upgrades over Jerks and Profar in left field. I, I don't think they should shy away from upgrading over a guy hitting 239 with a sub 400 slug as a corner outfielder. You can upgrade from that. So I think it's just, again, they really need a center fielder in the worst way. They probably need a right fielder. But if they can upgrade left field too, they should go ahead and do it. I mean, when you talk about Benintendi, Benintendi's not slugging 400 either. Yeah, but he's hitting a lot for a lot higher average. A lot higher average. No, I know. And that, saying, and, that, but, and, that, and that counts for something. A guy who's hitting, yeah. you know, 321 versus 239, it's a pretty significant difference and a pretty substantial right. but I'm But I'm saying I don't think that – I think Benintendi's a nice – his defense is going to help a team too. I do I do think that uh, – that, that the Royals may be selling a little high, which is a good time to trade, is to sell high on a guy, which is, this is Benintendi's having his best year really in the last four years. I, that's one that I'm a little buyer beware if I, if I acquire him. He's had a great first half. Even with that great first half, though, it's very batting average dependent. If he hits 280 over the second half, you're going to get good defense, but you're not getting, you know, a 280 second half for him would mean He'd probably be sitting at like 280, 350, 360, 370, which is good, but it's not going to be a, a real game changer for a team is my concern. Well, and I think that's where, again, every team has to look at their own needs. For the Padres, that is an upgrade, and that's where you probably still acquire them. So I think, again, it just comes down to each team what their current situation is. But, you know, that's a team I think it's, it's kind of the easy answer. Who's a team that you're confident is going to make a move? The Padres are probably going to make a move. I think the Astros are another team. Again, this is a team that's charging hard at the Yankees. And, you know, there are already a lot of discussions about the first base market, them being on Josh Bell. That's a perfect fit, something they should absolutely mm-hmm. do. I really am looking at the Dodgers. I mean, you know, in some ways, I think it almost gets undersold just how active they are pretty much every year at the deadline from Max Scherzer and Trey Turner a year ago to previous years, Manny Machado at the deadline, uh, Rich Hill, Josh Reddick, you Darvish. I mean, Almost every deadline, they've gone and made a pretty big splash. And again, they're in the Juan Soto sweepstakes. There, there's a couple guys that are not performing offensively like you'd want, Max Muncy, Cody Bellinger. But what the Dodgers actually need the most, their biggest fire alarm right now, is, is they need some bullpen help. Daniel Hudson's out for the season. Blake Trinan and Brewster Gradwell are on the I.L., you know, they should be back, but you never really know what it's going to look like when they come back. Trinan especially has been hurt for most of the season. Craig Kimbrell's been really, really, really shaky. This has kind of been end of Red Sox career Craig Kimbrell, not peak Braves Craig Kimbrell. They really could use some late-game bullpen help. And again, they're being tied to Juan Soto. They're being tied to starters like you know Frankie Montas and, and Luis Castillo. But the bullpen's actually where they have the biggest need. And I just look at the Tigers with Gregory Soto, Michael Fulmer, and Andrew Chafin, and I just see a very natural fit there. The Dodgers can put a package together to get Soto and Fulmer together, for example. Gregory Soto, not Juan Soto. I think that would actually be a, a great, great thing that could really help this team. So... I mean, yeah, that's another team. Um, and again, the Mets and Yankees, look, the Yankees need a new left fielder. Joey Gallo is just not a major league caliber starter right now. He's just not. Um, I, 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 was, I think he's not in New York. I think he needs a change of scenery. I, I get Send him back to Texas. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, it's just, you know, again, even if that's not Juan Soto, who I don't think they can get, they can go get Ian Happ, and that would be a huge upgrade for them. 
And the Mets, they need catching help. And again, we've seen Steve Cohen ownership, Billy Epler as the GM. They're going to be aggressive. So I think those are the five teams that are kind of, they're all top contenders. They all have very clear holes and they all have the resources to make moves. And I think at the end, we'll see all of them make moves. Again, it's just which one's most likely. I think you kind of by default have to go Padres. I do look at a couple of other teams. Um, the Braves are right there with the Mets. They're the defending World Series champs. So obviously, which and they're means always a lot. active at the deadline too. Again, people I think undersell Alex Anthopoulos. I go back to 2019 when that bullpen was absolutely cover your eyes horrendous, and they went out. They got Mark Melanson. They got Chris Martin. They got Shane Green last year. And, their outfield. They went and got four new outfielders. They're aggressive, and, and you're right. And, they, and let me ask you on this. Again, this is what I go back to. This is all about the team ownership being willing to spend some money and prospects who probably aren't going to hurt you. I'm not going to put you on the spot and ask you to recite every prospect that they traded any of those. But does anyone come to mind as we sit here? They rebuilt their bullpen in 2019, and I cannot come up with a player that they traded away where you're like, oh, man. They really, they really kind of wish that they would have been able to hold on to so and so. I can't look at a player that they traded last year at the deadline that they obviously last year because I don't care if it was hurt. You'd be like, the ring, it's nice. We will we'll do that trade. But I, I look at they will make moves. They will do it probably from players who they will be quite happy to trade away, and they will be fine. Again, Alex Anthopoulos and the Braves, they've really taken advantage of what I've talked about. It continues to be astoundingly cheap to get good big leaguers on the trade market, especially guys on expiring contracts. And uh, they've taken advantage of that year after year after year. The, the one other uh, division I think I want to touch on at least a little bit is, is that I think both the Twins and the Guardians could have an interesting deadline. Um, right now, as we record this, the Twins are two and a half games up. The Guardians have an extremely crowded 40-man roster. They have another wave of prospects, good prospects, who are going to need to be added in the offseason. If there's a team out there that should try to do the, we're going to give you a volume of players to make a move, to improve, you know, like we'll give you, if I'm the Guardians, I'm happy to pay 120 cents on the dollar if you say, I'm going to trade three good young players, but get someone back who's better than any one of those three players, I'm willing to do that because I've got roster crunches that I'm already dealing with. But now look at the Twins. I think the Twins have to do something with their bullpen because it's just been, you cannot just depend on Joan Duran to be everything for you. You have to have some additional. Now, Kenta Maeda may later in the year what role that would be, but you know there's a chance that he pitches for them still this year, I would think. Um, but I do think of them as a team that I don't know position-wise, I think that they're in kind of better shape. I, I think they could trade Miguel Sano and it wouldn't, they wouldn't even notice that he just you know, was off the roster again. But um, – Maybe that helps them in a, in a trade. Also starting, I, starting pitching for them. I mean, right now in terms of healthy, effective starters, 
it's pretty much Joe Ryan, Sonny Gray, and Chris Archer. I mean, Dylan Bundy is is not pitching well. His ERA is up over five. Bailey Ober is on the IL. Uh, Josh Winder's on the IL. Chris Paddock's on the IL. I, I think any and all. Meltzer's doing a little bit of uh, smoke and mirrors. I, I will I will agree on that. But yeah, I think I, I think more me, more help there as well as potentially. I, I, I'm going to say though, if you could only make help one. I'm helping the bullpen, not the starters, because at least I've got three there. And I don't think that they have – if you said, do they have three relievers right now? My answer would be not that you can really depend on. So – and in a, in a postseason, if you don't have three relievers, it's going to be really hard to get through a postseason series. And that's also, as we've talked about, that's where you can get help for relatively inexpensively. I do – if they can get a starter who helps it even at the – if they got a starter who could start for them now and may not even pencil into their postseason rotation, that could be useful for them, I think. But they need a, a pen arm or two who's going to be key for them in the postseason. I think. The other thing I'm going to be watching is the teams who have struggled a little bit, but they're not out of it. How aggressive are they? How aggressive are the Red Sox going to be? How aggressive are the White Sox going to be? How aggressive are the Giants going to be? Again, all these teams are, are 500 or, in the case of the Giants, a little below – do they hold serve? I don't think we'll see them sell off, but how aggressive are they going to be? Again, that's going to be an interesting subplot to me as well. Okay, here's my one. What would it do? I, I, I think I this is a say. slam dunk move. If I'm, an, if I'm the Orioles, I don't have to – I'm not blowing any part of this team up. I'm not trying to make the move to win the World Series this year. Nothing like that. But I will tell you right now, the Orioles fan base, which has been defines long suffering right now. There are other fan bases who could say that too, but who have just gone through the worst stretch of baseball in the history of the Baltimore Orioles. Just making a couple of moves that can help them. A wild card spot this year would be a wonderful thing for the Orioles a step along the way in the rebuild. And by the way, this is a team that I think could do that, could add some help without it costing a whole lot because you sit there right now with Rugnet Odor as, you know, your second, you, you, you don't you still have players. is your shortstop. Yes, there are, there are holes that they can upgrade significantly. There's no question. And I think it would actually, I think it would, be financially beneficial for them because I think they would sell more tickets from just the fan benefit of, Hey, they actually tried. I think that there would be a nice little ancillary benefit as well. Yeah. And that actually kind of leads me to an interesting point. Some people have talked about the Orioles as sellers, you know, Trey Mancini and Jorge Lopez, unless they get an absolutely ridiculous offer for Trey Mancini, trading him would be the worst thing this club could do right now, given the momentum for this franchise. And oh, by the way, he's still productive. He still leads the entire team in on-base percentage. He's right there up the leaders in batting average. His OPS is up there near the team leaders. Like This is still one of their better hitters in their lineup. What he means to this team, the heart and soul of that clubhouse. I actually think trading him would just be just an absolute gut punch to this organization. And let me put it this way. The Orioles should either hold serve or be slight buyers. Modest. You know, Modest buyers. Yeah. Again, now, if, they, if they get a blow them away offer for Jorge Lopez, okay. Oh, you know, yeah. Yeah. No, if you, if you get, go ahead. But 
Trey Mancini Let, should clear. not be moved. Let, let's be clear. I, and again, I don't want to make it sound. I think they can do both. I think that they are something where they can be like buyer seller in that Jorge Lopez. There's not an Orioles. Uh, I'm just Orioles fans. I'm speaking to you. There's not an Orioles fan out there who coming into the season said, you know what? If they trade Jorge Lopez, I'm out. That's <laughs> that. That's the straw. No one. Yeah. He's been great. There's nothing wrong about trading a player who is probably at his peak value, especially a reliever, because you know one thing we know about relievers? They seem to be a little bit up and down in their, uh, you know, there's no guarantee that Jorge Lopez being this good over the first half of the season means Jorge Lopez is going to be this good for the next two and a half years or anything like that. So they can make a move where it's like, look, this move makes us better in the long term and doesn't hurt us that much in the short term. But be making moves over here also where it's like, you know what? Spin that as we think that this gives Felix Bautista a chance to be even even larger role for us. And by the way, we acquired this help over here, players who are going to help us this year and in future years as well. I agree. If they want to trade Jorge Lopez, if they get the right offer, absolutely go for it. Trey Mancini, I think it'll be a litmus test for this front office. If they trade him, I think it would just it would be awful for what that would do to this team on the field, off the field, and what it would show the fan base. And I think given how much teams don't value first base DH types, especially in trades, his value to them, barring an unforeseen blown away type of offer that would be very different than what the market has shown in recent years, his value to them is significantly more than anything you get in a trade. So Right. That That's where I agree with you is, is that the likelihood is, is you're not going to get a whole lot back for him. You're just going to get a piece or two, yeah. not so, a lot of pieces. It'll be and again, as we sit here, the Orioles are three games out of a wild card spot. Will they maintain it? I mean, we'll see. But if nothing else, it's been cool to see them take the step forward, the young position players, and, and especially, too, to be doing this without John Means, I think is as remarkable as anything. If you said they were doing this with John Means and Grayson Rodriguez in the rotation, and then all these young guys were taking a step forward – I think you'd still say, you know, that's a bit of a stretch, but you could see the outcome where it would happen. If you said they would do this with no means and no Rodriguez, I would have told you there's no way in heck that would happen. And yet here they are. So give them credit. We'll see how sustainable it is, but they're definitely moving in the right direction. It does see, it just feels to me like a little bit ahead of schedule from the standpoint of like Gunnar Henderson's not there yet. Grayson Rodriguez is not there yet. Like you said, John Means is hurt. I you expect it to be better this year. Adley has, they have started to have some of these players arrive. I did not expect this bullpen to be this. And there is questions like, okay, is that because they've done an incredible job development? Probably somewhat. Is it also because bullpens are a little bit ephemeral and there's, you can have great ones and then they disappear into the ether. Also true. So that's where it's a little bit, I'm not saying that they're on a, foundation of, of winning a, a playoff series this year just but they are in a very interesting place and one where at, at least they can think about making moves to help them which hey never would imagine that two two and a half months ago jj there's one question i want to ask before we wrap up every year we see a guy moved at the deadline who who kind of surprises with just how much of an impact he makes i think last year you look at jorge soler who was really struggling in Kansas City. Had been good in the past, but again, it was a really, really rough year at the Royals. 
goes to Atlanta and has a fantastic regular season and then comes back in the postseason and wins the World Series MVP. Who's a guy for you that maybe is not a headliner on this trade market, but you think that could, you know, could make an impact for a team if acquired? How about Ramon Laureano? Yeah. Like that's to me one where he does a lot of things, different things well. So that's one thing is that even on days, like if you acquire Ramon Laureano, he's going to make your outfield defense better. I think he's definitely going to have an arm. He's definitely, I don't, outfield arms are maybe not the most important tool in the world, but it is a useful one. He has it, but I think he also will produce. So the Padres, that's a perfect example. If the Padres added Ramon Laureano, I think that Ramon Laureano could be a very useful uh, boost for them. Oh, he'd be a huge boost in center field. He would be a huge boost in center field. (laughs) There's no question. Am I am I aiming too high when I bring up Loriano? I mean, are you going for a lower level of help? I mean, I, no, it's fine. I, I think for me, the guy that I was going to cite until he got hurt four days ago was Garrett Cooper with the Marlins. This is someone that very, very quietly has been a really good hitter for four years running now. He just cannot stay healthy. When he's on the field, the dude hits. He hits and hits and hits some more and would be a very nice offensive upgrade for a lot of teams. In that DH, sometimes first base, he hasn't played in the outfield this year, but just kind of, again, it's not sexy. It's not, not a huge name that all people know, but he actually made the All-Star game this year. And again, he's just always hit when he's been on the field. And I actually thought he had a chance to be kind of a steal of the deadline type of player that you could acquire at for relatively cheap. And then he hurt his wrist four days ago. So, I, you know, we have to see what that looks like and what that does. But if he were healthy, he'd be my pick. And the poor guy just cannot stay healthy. But dude can hit. He's always hit. And I think he'll continue hitting for whatever team he's on. And if he's healthy enough to acquire – would be a nice player to acquire. Okay. I'll, I'll throw out one, the flip side of which is, is that there was a little bit of a buyer beware player to me. The cost is not going to be one where I wouldn't acquire him, but I look at Brandon Drury, who's having an excellent year for Cincinnati. Okay. Let's start there. He's having a great year and he's played pretty much everywhere for Cincinnati. So if you acquire him, there are multiple positions where you could kind of, plug him in if you need to. That said, this year is a little bit out of character. It's easily, I would say, the best year of his career, a career that before this year, he had a decent year last year in New York, but well-traveled would be an apt way to describe Brendan Drury. Uh, You know, Diamondback, Blue Jay, Matt, Red, if you told me that the hitting environment of Cincinnati has been beneficial to him and in a different situation, like he just has to return. If he returns 25, 50% of the way to pre 2022 production, he's still a useful player, but he's not giving you that massive impact that he is right now. That's one where I'm a little bit, I guess, concerned potentially. Yeah, no, I mean, I think there's definitely a fair one. It's funny, I'm trying to think who's my buyer beware guy. No one jumps to mind right now. I, I do think every year, not every year, a lot of years we see someone move that makes us go, oh, wow. You know, maybe whether it's came out of nowhere or was a 
I don't think he'll get moved. And, and inevitably, sometimes those guys get moved. One team that's very, very clearly out of it and in a really bad spot in terms of both the level of talent they have in the major leagues and in their farm system is the Angels. This is not a good team right now that does not have a lot of good players, a lot of good healthy players especially. And look, Noah Syndergaard is probably going to be on the move. Grace Iglesias signed a big extension. I don't know if teams are going to want to take on that salary, but he's someone who could be on the move potentially. You know, Shohei Otani, I, I do not think the Angels will trade him. What he means to that organization, just in terms of the pure dollars he brings in. Every day he starts, what he means to them, just from a marketing perspective all over Japan and, and in general, the baseball world. It's a lot. It's, he's more than just his on-field value to them. He brings in so, so, so much for them in terms of eyeballs and revenue that it's not a, a clean talent-for-talent talent kind of trade. And even if it was, the talent to acquire him would be massive, even for a year and a half. At the same time, he's been very vocal. He wants to play for a winner. And the Angels have not had a winning season since he signed with them. They haven't been particularly close to a winning season since he signed with them, and it's getting worse. They are currently on pace to exceed the franchise record for losses. This organization has never lost more than 95 games in a season. They're on pace to do that this year. So if they feel that they're going to lose them in a year and a half, and now's the time to capitalize, and if they get a blow-em-away offer, you know that would be the one trade that could just turn everything on its head. Now, do I think it will happen? No. There was a report the Mets reached out, which makes sense. Billy Epler is their GM. He's who signed Otani out of Japan. But um, it's, it's an interesting thing to watch is kind of, you know, what could be the sneaky bombshell of this deadline? Okay. Uh, this is the perfect way to end it. And by the way, you may be listening to this as, you know, two podcasts because we went, we went longer than, uh, than we ever uh, envisioned. But if Shohei Otani is on the market, he has less team control remaining than Juan Soto. But who gets a bigger package? Juan Soto or Shoei Otani? I think Otani. Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, they would both be you, really you big. two problems. <laughs> yeah. No, I, they would both be really big. I mean, Otani, it's less control, but he's also a lot cheaper. He's less of a, of a, mm-hmm. of a hit to your payroll this year. I could well, see arguments. I mean, the next year, the next year arbitration hearing is going to be amazing. Uh, I would think. Yeah. No. I. I mean, they're equivalent. I, that is an equivalent type. Like, there are not many players who you'd say, "Oh, I think it could be an equivalent package to a one Soto package." Shohei would be one because you're like, "Hey, by the way, good news, everybody. We just acquired a pitcher who is could pitch Game Seven of the World Series for us, and we feel good about him taking the mound. And oh yeah, by the way, at the same time, we acquired a middle-of-order bat who we think could bat in the middle of the order for us throughout the playoffs, could be a game-changer for us. And oh yeah, by the way, he's the same player. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, again, it's um, it would be massive. I, yeah. I could see where Otani absolutely gets the bigger package. I could also see where teams value that one full additional year of Soto and he gets the bigger package. Like I can see it both ways, but both would be massive. Again, Soto obviously is a much higher likelihood of being traded, but it is if you're just looking for what, what could be the sneaky bombshell of the deadline, that's it. But, well, that's a perfect way to wrap it up. That was a fun 
uh, podcast there, Kyle. Uh, thank you again to all of you for, for downloading the Baseball America podcast. We are here every week. We will be checking out BaseballAmerica.com where we'll be analyzing all these trades. We're prepping you for them. We'll be ranking all the prospects who are traded. And oh yeah, by the way, probably very importantly, if you're a Baseball America subscriber, we have updated top 30s for all 30 teams and the top 100. So you know the value of these players as they're being traded. Do remember, friends don't let friends use really outdated top you know, rankings to cite when you're talking about these trades. Drove me crazy last year with the, with the Gallo trade to the Yankees, where you had Yankees fans saying, we didn't give anything up. And it's like, yeah, you did. Yes, you did. Check out these updated rankings. You did. It's okay. But you did give up a lot. And that's something where you need the rankings are all updated there. Check them out, baseballamerica.com. For Kyle, I'm JJ. So long, everybody.